Let's pray together as we begin. Lord, we come to you today. God, saying that we're not, we're not desperate for something new. We're not desperate for something manufactured. We're not desperate for lights or music or anything other than the presence of Almighty God. I pray that right now, as we continue to worship you through opening the word, Lord, that you would send your presence upon us. God, that we may know the power, the presence, and the purposing of Almighty God in our lives. Lord, and that we may be able to take that forward with us into our lives. God, we offer this time to you, and we praise you for what you're going to do. In Jesus' name I pray, amen. amen. Okay, today we're going to be looking at 1 Kings chapter 18. I'm reading out of the CSB version. Uh, I invite you to open up your copy of God's Word, open up your Bible app, whatever you have. <coughs> uh, the verses will also be on the screen behind me. We're going to look at a lot of scripture today, so no one's going to judge you if you're watching the screen. Um, you know, I, I, may, I may poke a little fun at you, but uh, I'm also going to be looking at my iPad, so I have nowhere to stand either. 1 Kings chapter 18, starting in a great spot, verse 1. After a long time, the word of the Lord came to Elijah in the third year. Go and present yourself to Ahab. I will send rain on the surface of the land. Verse 2. So Elijah went to present himself to Ahab. The famine was severe in Samaria. Now, before we get going, there's a couple of things that we need to take care of. A couple of of contextualizing things that we need to look at that really... play an important role into seeing God's presence, power, and purposing throughout this story. The first thing we see is, is that God really does speak to us. I hope that you embrace that this morning. God speaks to us. Whether he comes and audibly speaks to you, whether he speaks to you as you open up his word, he, he speaks to you through prayer. He speaks to you as you Gather into community with other believers. God speaks to us. The the next thing we want to see here in verse 2 is that during this time, the famine was severe. Now, this is part of the contextualizing I was talking about. If you back up to 1 Kings chapter 17, you see something very interesting at the beginning of the chapter. Elijah comes on the scene. He says, because of the ungodliness of King Ahab and Queen Jezebel and the nation of Israel, through the power of God, I say, no rain until I say it rains again. And then what happens? It does not rain. There's a certain amount of time in that chapter. Then at the beginning of this chapter, we see three years. So we can guesstimate that between five and six years, there's been no rain in Israel Because of the decree of Elijah. Now a couple other contextualizing things. Some of you that have like your Bible black belts on are like, I know exactly where this is in the old BC. For some of us that don't, in my research I found some of this to be very fascinating. Uh, If you back all the way up, we have King Ahab, back all the way up to Joshua. Joshua was the first of the judges. These warrior priests that God would appoint. Joshua led Israel all the way until we got to Samuel. 
during Samuel's time, the nation of Israel is sitting there saying, Lord, we, we need a king. Everybody else has a king. We need a king. And God is sitting there saying, mm, I, don't, I don't really know that you do. But eventually, God gives Israel a king. He appoints Samuel to then anoint Saul as king. We all know how that crashed and burned. So they had to kind of reboot. Then you have David. Then you have Solomon. After Solomon, the nation of Israel becomes a divided nation. In other words, you have the north, Israel, the south, Judah, autonomous kingdoms ruled by two different people moving forward as allies. Ahab is the seventh king following that divide. So that's where we are. It's about 400 years between Joshua and Ahab, about 850 B.C. is where we are in the timeline. Now, as part of the custom of that day, Ahab took multiple wives. One of his wives is a woman named Jezebel, the daughter of the king of Tyre. Kind of think circa present-day Lebanon. Now, she comes, and of all his wives, she is the one most of note. Most alluding to the fact that she was probably the one in Ahab's life that he held on to the most, that he loved the most, that he listened to her counsel the most. She brings with her her religion and all of of her customs and influences Ahab away from the worship of Yahweh to the worship and the practices of Baal. Now, this isn't just a flippant turning but rather an aggressive realignment. In fact, one of the things that Ahab and Jezebel are most famous for is for going after the prophets of Yahweh, the one true living God, and straight laying them to death. That is what they're most known for. So you have this scenario going on with Jezebel and Ahab. Then you have Elijah brought in as God's appointed priest to bring Israel back to him. That is the crux of this current situation that's the context of where we are let's continue this morning and read this is first kings 18 we're starting in verse 3 we're going to read for a long time so if you want to read the screen go right ahead ahab verse 3 ahab called for obadiah who was in charge of the palace obadiah was a man who greatly feared the lord And took a hundred prophets and hid them, fifty men, to a cave and provided them with food and water when Jezebel slaughtered the Lord's prophets. Ahab said to Obadiah, go throughout the land to every spring and every wadi. Perhaps we'll find grass so that we can keep the horses and mules alive and don't have to destroy them. In other words, we're we're pointing back to the, the great drought that Elijah had brought on. Verse 6, they divided the land between them in order to cover it. Ahab went one way, Obadiah went the other way. Verse 7, while Obadiah was walking along the road, Elijah suddenly met him. When Obadiah recognized him, he fell face down and said, Is it you, my lord, Elijah? It is I, he replied. Go tell your lord, Elijah is here. Now, the writing is very intentional. I believe that Elijah did just appear he didn't stroll up hey Obadiah good to see you in this part of the wilderness God brought him there verse 9 but Obadiah said what sin have I committed that you are handing your servant over to Ahab to put me to death 
as the Lord God lives, there is no nation or kingdom where my Lord has not sent someone to search for you, pointing to the conflict. When they said, he is not here, he made that kingdom or nation swear they hadn't found you. Now you say, go tell your Lord that Elijah is here. But when I leave you, the Spirit of the Lord may carry you off someplace I don't know. Then when I go to report to Ahab and he doesn't find you, he will kill me. But I, your servant, have feared the Lord in my youth. Wasn't it reported to the Lord that when Jezebel slaughtered the Lord's prophets, I hid a hundred of prophets in, in caves, 50 per cave. Verse 14, now you say, go tell your Lord Elijah is here. He will kill me. A couple things. This kill thing points to the, the conflict brought on by Elijah and his opposition to the ungodliness happening. Second, maybe it's just me. Maybe you know. I, I admit I'm a closet sci-fi fan. The notion of poof, there's someone. Poof, he's gone. He's somewhere else through the working of the Holy Spirit. That's amazing. That's what's happening right here. That's what he's referring to. Let's continue. Verse 15. Then Elijah said, as the Lord of armies lives in whose presence I stand, today I will present myself to Ahab. Oh, but I went to meet Ahab and told him. Then Ahab went to meet Elijah. When Elijah saw Ahab, Ahab said to him, is that you, the one ruining Israel? He replied, I haven't ruined Israel, but you and your father's family have because you have abandoned the Lord's commands and followed the Baals. Now summon all of Israel to meet me at Mount Carmel along with 450 prophets of Baal and 400 prophets of Asherah who eat at Jezebel's table. Okay, So he found them. He said, I'm not the one ruining them. You are and you're in godliness. Now it's go time. Gather your, gather your prophets Meet me over at the playing field. Verse 20, so Ahab summoned all the Israelites and gathered their prophets at Mount Carmel. Then Elijah approached all the people and said, how long will you waver between two opinions? We saw this in this video a moment ago. If the Lord is God, follow him. But if Baal, follow him. But the people didn't answer him a word. In other words, they're kind of caught in the middle. They don't know what to believe. They should know what to believe, but they don't know what to believe. Verse 22, then Elijah said to the people, I am the only remaining prophet of the Lord, but Baal's prophets are 450 men. Let two bulls be given to us. They are to choose one bull for themselves, cut it in pieces, place it on the wood, but not light the fire. I will prepare the other bull and place it on the wood, but not light the fire. Then God called on the name of your God, and I will call on the name of the Lord, the God who answers with fire he is God. We're saying, okay, pause button, no more soft stuff. No more I'm right, you're wrong stuff. No more threats. Game on, real results, real God or fake God. I'm not playing around anymore. You say you're real, do something with it. Now, it's very interesting how this happens, because if you remember back to Moses, Moses did great things through the power of the Lord. And what did the uh, Pharaoh's men say? Well, that was a trick that I can do. Then God kept upping the ante. And eventually we got to a spot 
where there was no doubt. The power, the presence, and the purposing of God. We're going to see that in this story as well. We start off at a manageable spot, and we just keep on getting more and more incredible. Verse 25, then Elijah said to the prophets of Baal, Since you're so numerous, choose for yourselves one bowl and prepare it first. Then call on the name of your God, but don't light the fire. Verse 26, so they took the bowl that he gave them, prepared it, called on the name of Baal from morning until noon, saying, Baal, answer us. But there was no sound. No one answered. Then they danced around the altar they had made. At noon, Elijah mocked him, saying, and I love this. He said, shout loudly, for he's a god. Maybe he's thinking it over. Maybe he's wandered away, or maybe he's on the road. Perhaps he's sleeping, and he needs to be woken up. They shouted loudly and cut themselves according to their custom until blood gushed over them. All afternoon, they kept raving until the offering of the evening sacrifice But there was no sound. No one answered them. No one paid attention. There may be times in your life where you're filling it with something other than God. You'll do anything for that to fill you and answer you and be what you need it to be. But at the end of the day, it won't answer you. Only the power of God can do that. Let's keep going. Verse 30. Then Elijah said to all the people, come near me. So the people approached him. Then he repaired the Lord's altar that had been torn down. Elijah took 12 stones according to the number of the tribe of the sons of Jacob, to whom the word of the the Lord had come, saying, Israel will, will be your name. And he built an altar with the stones in the name of the Lord. Then he made a trench around the altar large enough to hold about four gallons. Next he arranged the wood, cut up the bowl, placed it on the wood, and said, Fill four water pots with water and pour it on the offering to be burned on the wood. Then he said, a second time, and they did it a second time. Then he said, a third time, and they did it a third time, so the water ran all around the altar. He even filled the trench with water. In other words, he went, built this altar, placed wood on top of it, placed the bowl on top of it. He had them douse that thing with water so much that the trench that they had dug around it filled with water you could even go through a hot amarillo afternoon and that water would not be gone verse 36 at the time of the offering the evening sacrifice the prophet elijah approached the altar and said lord the god of abraham isaac and israel today let it be known that you are god in israel and i am your servant and that your word i have done all these things answer me lord Answer me so that this people will know that you, the Lord God, are God. And that you have turned their hearts back. That's a very fervent prayer. You see, when we cry out to God before a mountain, we have to allow that outcry to declare the faith, hope, and victory found in God. God. We we can't come to him uncertain of his power. We can't come to him wondering if he'll show up. We've got to come to him and be aware 
of his power and presence and purposing in our life, knowing fully what that can look like if he decides he's going to land upon you, our outcry must resemble that. It must be full of faith. It must be full of hope, full of victory, because so is he. There's nothing weak sauce about our God. And when we come to him, we come to him boldly, knowing that at every point of every part of our life, he has been there faithful. He has been there unrelenting. Our outcry must resemble the faith, hope, and victory found in God. Let's continue this morning. Verse 38. I love, I love this part of, the, of this story, church. I love it. I love it. Wrap your mind around this. Then the Lord's fire fell. It fell from where? Where to fall? Wait, 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 active participation mode. Where to fall from? Heaven. The sky. It didn't come from like a lighter. He didn't like, you know, get up there with his little stones. It came from the sky. You ever seen that happen? I mean, I've had the privilege of, of doing fireworks 4th of July over at the Holcomb's house. And it still didn't happen. It got close. So, the Lord's fire fell and consumed the burnt offering, the wood, the stones, and the dust. It even licked up the water that was in the trench. When all the people saw it, they fell face down and said, The Lord, He is God. The Lord, He is God. Verse 40, Then Elijah ordered them, Seize the prophets of Baal. Don't even let one of them escape. So they seized them. Check this out. And Elijah brought them down to the Wadi Kishon and slaughtered them there. Elijah said to Ahab, go up and eat and drink, for there's a sound of a rainstorm. You see, the, the great thing about what we just read here is, after the fire came down, what a victory. After the victory of Jesus over all these men, victory, we see that. We may look at it and say, that was awesome, I'm done. Lunchtime. But what we have to realize is that God's work in us is never done. God's work in us is never done. Because you may sit there and say, fire from heaven, overcoming the enemy. But God's sitting there saying, there's more. Will you look over there? Through my power, there's a cloud. And it's coming to bring the rain. That's what happens in this story. God's work is never done. But you know, there's, there's a, an angle to this where you may say, that's great, Pastor Grant. Uh, God's work in somebody who is God's prophet, sure, it's never done. It, it is never done. He is actively moving and working through this person. But here's the deal. The, the other side of that angle is, is that you may be far from God and his work is still not done in you. You may sit there and say, I feel like my heart is chapped. Like someone took some sandpaper and rubbed it over top of my heart. I'm so far from God. I'm so dry. His healing and renewing water hasn't touched my heart in decades. God is not done. 
you may sit there and say, you don't know what my sin life looks like. God's work is not done. You may sit there and say, life is great. My business is great. My family is great. I haven't cracked open my Bible in who knows how long. I don't even know where the book of Psalms is. I don't even know New and Old Testament. What's the deal? God's work in you isn't done. Because it's not about us. It's about his supremacy, his sovereignty, his saving grace seen in and exerted through our lives. Whether we're here for it or not, God in us is not done. So today, if you're like, I'm not Elijah, I'm like Shmelijah, I'm like the opposite. I'm the Shmo version of Elijah. His work in you is never done. His work in us is never done. Verse 42. So Ahab went to drink and eat, but Elijah went to the summit of Carmel. He bent down on the ground and put his face between his knees. He said to his servant, go up and look toward the sea. So he went up and looked and said, there is nothing. Seven times Elijah said, go back. On the seventh time he reported, there's a cloud as small as a man's hand coming up from the sea. Then Elijah said, go and tell Ahab, get your chariot ready and go down so the rain doesn't stop you. In a little while, the the sky grew dark with clouds and wind and there was a downpour. So Ahab got in his chariot and went down to Jezreel. God's power is seen most when we're desperate before him. God's power is seen most when we're desperate before him because here's the deal. Do you remember like years before this, Elijah said, no more rain, we're done. And yet now, because God's not ever done, he is sitting there saying, because he is close to him, there's rain coming. God's not done. He's going to continue to work. And we see that God's power is seen most when we're desperate before him, when we kneel before him, when we, when we say, Lord, there's no other way out but yours. Sure, I've got some ideas, but all of them fall well below what I know you can do. And God, I'm desperate before you. Lord, Lord would you answer? Lord, would you show yourself powerful? I know in, in my Brooke and I, in our lives and in our marriage, there have been times where we have, we have sought the Lord. We've had a, a fork in the road of sorts and said, either way it looks great. Today, tomorrow, it could all look terrible. God, we just don't know what to do. And as we got before the Lord, and we were desperate before him, he was faithful to show up. And to exert his power in our midst. There are times we, we think back about how he has displayed his power. God's power is seen most when we are desperate before him. And I, I want us to look at God's power here. The next point, God's power and presence come upon us when we are close to him. In verse 46 we see this. The power of the Lord was on Elijah. He tucked his mantle in under his belt and ran ahead of Ahab's chariot to the entrance of Jezreel. Now, 
in my life, I have never called down fire from heaven. I've never called down rain from heaven. I've never killed anybody in Jesus' name. I don't, I don't, those things aren't a part of my, of my life and of my, of my traffic patterns. Running? I mean, I can run for, to the fridge and back pretty quick, okay? Like, like we're, we're, not, we're not hopping into my domain, okay? Listen, I go to the gym, okay? I can run for like, on the treadmill for like 30 seconds, slowly. It says here, Elijah tucked in his mantle and ran ahead of Ahab's chariot to Jezreel. Let's unpack some of that. Okay, so active participation mode. What is a chariot pulled by? Horses. Four to be exact. Now, back in, in 850 BC, here in uh, the nation of Israel, we look back and we see uh, historically Solomon was the one that, that got horses first for his army from Egypt. Egypt got them from Asia. So these are kind of the you know, heritage of wild Asian horses. The, these guys run about, mm, what is it like? I think their top speed is 42 miles per hour. Okay? Four of them pulling a chariot with a dude and a couple other dudes on it is about 35 to 40 miles per hour. So Elijah, who you know, that day wasn't wearing his like new balances, you know, he's probably barefoot, outran this chariot going between 35 and 40 miles an hour, not for 30 seconds, not for 30 minutes. He ran the distance between Carmel and Jezreel, which is 17 miles. Listen, I ain't ever walked 17 miles if you were to add up all my walking from birth till now. It hasn't happened. He outran that chariot. Let's put it into context today. One of the most baffling athletes I've ever seen is um, Usain Bolt. Do you know who Usain Bolt is? If you don't, let me, let me tell you. He has the most, uh, the most medals for any runner in history of the Olympics. He's won everything. His top speed is 28 miles per hour at a little bit under 100 meters. Okay. Through the power of God, Elijah ran faster than a horse going between 35 and 40 miles an hour for 17 miles. Pull that into your heart and realize that God's power and presence come upon us when we're close to him. And that power is amazing. That power does anything more than you could ever hope for or imagine. His power is greater than any obstacle that comes in your way. His power is great enough to give you any victory in this life. But see, when we say the word victory, I think sometimes we think like, ooh, Jesus gave me a car. Hoping for a Range Rover. I, I, don't, I don't personally believe that that's what that means at all. When I hear God gave me a victory, I think of it in terms of this. Maybe men in this room... The victory that God's going to give you today is to be a man that follows hard after him. Amen. Loves a, a wife in a, in a way from God's perspective. Raises a family to know and to serve the Lord. Who then go and marry spouses that know and serve the Lord. Who then raise up another family to know and love the Lord and to, 
to operate and move under his traffic patterns, to, to gauge their finances from his mindset, to open up their word, to bring in the outside community and make a difference in their lives. And what you find is that the victory you may see today may boil up to being a heritage of generations to come of people that love the Lord. Now that's a victory I'm talking about. You, you want me to sign up for a victory right there? Put my name on number one. I want to be in that victory category. Ladies, maybe it's that, maybe you don't have the dream job, but maybe because you've been close to the Lord, you've met a man that loves you the way Jesus loves the church. He cherishes you. He emboldens you, compels you to lead your children and your home well. And then those children go out and they do the same thing. And their children and their children sign me up for that kind of victory, church, because that is the power of God in our lives. To not be here and now for the next 10 minutes or 10 hours, but to raise a heritage of people that victoriously live beneath the power of the cross. That is the victory, church. That is what I'm talking about right here. That is the victory that Jesus gives to us, to those that are close to him. And we see that when the power and the presence and the purposing of Almighty God comes upon our life. That is the victory that we hold on to. The story does not end there. Because like any victory, there's always an aftermath. There's always a valley. And for that valley, we hit 1 Kings 19. Verse 1, Ahab told Jezebel everything that Elijah had done and, and how he had killed all the prophets with the sword. So Jezebel sent a messenger to Elijah saying, May the gods punish me and do severely to me if I don't make your life end by this time tomorrow. Then Elijah became afraid and immediately ran for his life when he came to Beersheba that belonged to Judah. He ran south and left his servant there. Following a victory, the natural emerging condition in our hearts is doubt and weakness. Following a victory, the the natural emerging condition in our hearts is doubt and weakness. Now you may be sitting there saying, well, hold on one second. Elijah just had this massive victory through the power of God. And he's going to let some princess threaten him? I mean, if it was me, I'd be sitting there looking at this woman like, what are you going to do? You're like a Disney princess. Are are you going to sing a song to me? What, what power do you have in the midst of God and his victory? But you know what? That's, that's hindsight of 2020, right? There is always an aftermath. There's always a letdown after a victory. But it's what we do and what we allow God to do through us following that. Following the victory, the natural emerging condition in our hearts is doubt and weakness. Let's continue. Verse 4, but he went on a day's journey into the wilderness. He sat down under a broom tree and prayed that he might die. He said, I've had enough, Lord. Take my life, for I'm no better than my father's. Then he lay down and slept. 
Suddenly an angel touched him. The angel told him, hey, get up and eat. Then he looked, and there at his head was a loaf of bread baked over hot stones and a jug of water. So he ate and drank and laid down again. Then the angel of the Lord returned for a second time and touched him. He said, get up and eat, or the journey will be too much for you. So he got up, ate, and drank. Then on the strength from that food, he walked 40 days and 40 nights to Horeb, the mountain of God. He entered a cave there and spent the night. Suddenly the word of the Lord came to him and said, What are you doing here, Elijah? He replied, I have been very zealous for the Lord God of armies, but the Israelites have abandoned your covenant, torn down your altars, and killed your prophets with the sword. I alone am left, and they're looking to take my life. He said, Go out and stand on the mountain in the Lord's presence. At that moment, the Lord passed by. I, I, I want you to hear this. I want you to hear this. He says, go out and stand in my presence. At that moment, the Lord passed by. A great and mighty wind was tearing at the mountains and was shattering cliffs before the Lord. But the Lord was not in the wind, and the wind was an earthquake. But the Lord was not in the earthquake. After the earthquake, there was a fire, but the Lord was not in the fire. And after the fire was a voice, soft whisper, and Elijah heard it. He wrapped his face in his mantle and went out and stood at the entrance of the cave. God is beyond powerful, holy, mighty, lofty. At the end of all of that, though, he will always call us back to him with a still, small voice. He will always call us back to himself. In church today, if you're in a spot, like I mentioned earlier, where you just dry. Life's fine. My heart's dry. I'm distant from the Lord. Or maybe you're, you're sitting there saying, I don't even have the, the right to approach the Lord because you don't know what's going on in my life. God is saying, Forget that, stand beneath my cross and stand in my presence. Forget all of that. Stand in my presence beneath the power of the cross because he knows exactly who we are. He knew exactly who we were when he took the cross for us. Stand in his presence. Allow that to be your defining point today. During the valley of the aftermath, remember the faith, hope, in victory that was present before the win. Remember the faith, hope, and victory. Remind your hearts of the greatness and the power and the glory found in Jesus Christ. Remind yourself that there is no one that is not covered through the power of the cross. Remind yourself of the faith, the hope, and the victory found before that win. Because it's still there. God approaches him with such grandeur, yet he's saying, I've been here all along. You don't need fire or earthquakes or wind. You've got my voice here in your heart. Just listen. The next thing, it's, it's actually quite applicable to every person. 
recharged physically, spiritually, and emotionally. If you remember, the angel of the Lord came to Elijah and said, Hey dude, why don't you eat and take a nap? And then stand in my presence. There's something very important about recharging ourselves physically. Because at the end of a victory, you're drained. You are drained. You've got to eat and rest. Stand in God's presence. Eat, rest, stand in God's presence. Eat, rest, and stand in his presence. Don't overlook those three things in your life, church family. The last thing we see here is enter into community with other believers. Following some of the verses we just finished reading, uh, God appoints multiple men for Elijah to go to and to pass various mantles off to, to live life with them and allow them to carry his burden. During the valley, the dry point, enter into community where other believers can carry your burdens. The final thought is restoration of our heart and spirit is only found in the presence of God. Restoration of our heart and spirit is only found in the presence of God. Church, I want you to take something home with you today. Not something physical that you can grab a hold of, but these words right here. If you're someone who is at the point of a victory, or maybe you're after a victory, and you're a Christ follower, remember the faith, hope, and victory of Jesus in your life. And this morning, do you need to stand in his presence and be restored? If you're here today, and a lot of what we just talked about went right over your head, and you've never asked Jesus Christ to be in your heart as your Lord and Savior, let me tell you right now, you don't have access to the power, hope, and victory of Jesus. But if you invite him to be in your heart as your Lord and Savior, you do. So we respond to these writings that we have just walked through. These writings that are almost 3,000 years old today in two ways. Do you need to stand in his presence and be restored? Or do you want to begin living in his presence by accepting Jesus as your Lord and Savior? I invite you, respond to God in one of those two ways today. Let him bless and change your life in ways that you'll never know. Let's pray together. Lord, we thank you and praise you this morning. God, that we have access to the power, the presence, and the purposing of Almighty God. Lord, that we can stand beneath the cross of Jesus and that the Holy Spirit lives in our hearts. Lord, we thank you that we can learn from examples like Elijah, where we can see your, what it looks like for your power to come upon us. And we can remind our hearts that at the end of the victory, that what we desperately need is you. Lord, I pray today that you would help us to sit beneath your cross as we respond to who you are. Gazing up at who you are, one who is full of grace, full of hope, full of love, full of mercy. 
Allow us now as we continue to worship to stand in your presence. That is our desire, Lord. In Jesus' name, amen. As, our, as Bridget sings and our worship team leads, I invite you, stand in God's presence. And if you don't know him, receive him today. Let's stand together, church family. Let's worship.